It's always uh, amazing to me, as, as Linda even mentioned it, how Joe and the music and the testimonies, it kind of all works together. And in case there's any doubt, I have nothing to do with planning that all out. And it really isn't. It all just comes together. I'm always amazed each week how God uses his people here at Pointway to bring that all together. And it's great because we can take pieces from all of that. And again, I don't know where everyone's at and how God wants to speak to you this morning, but he can do that. And he can use that, that message right to where you're at. And so and I take great confidence in that. And uh, it also takes some of the pressure off because it's not all relying upon me, which that's a good thing. So um, the book of Esther, we're going to dive in as we continue on in our series. We started just last week in Esther chapter 1 as we began this study in Esther. And uh, I think I mentioned last week that Esther's not a book that I would have normally picked through and, and, uh, and thought of, oh, hey, let's do Esther right now. But as I continue to read and continue to dive in, I see more and more how God's going to use Esther uh, and how pertinent it is to today and to what's going on around us. And I've been encouraged this week, as many of you have said, hey, I read Esther this week, and you know what? I picked this out of it, and, and I got this, and oh, I, I've read it before, but it was just kind of a casual overread, and I'm digging in a little bit deeper, and I really appreciate we, We're working to, I do, I appreciate the encouragement from you folks reading it um, as we do this together. We, we're working through this um, together as the body of Christ, and so Esther's a, a great book. Um, I am also thankful that some of the early founders um, and even... Martin Luther, who didn't agree that Esther should be uh, included in our Bible, that he was wrong. You know what? Even great men can be wrong. Uh, Esther's a great book. And again, one of the reasons that he didn't want it in there was because it never mentions God specifically. But you'd have to be pretty blind not to see how God's hand is all throughout the book of Esther and the story of Esther. Uh, Esther's also not the only character here. Uh, there's many more along the way. In fact, last week we spent the whole time in chapter 1 and we didn't ma- mention Esther at all because she's not on the scene yet. But she has a place to come. Uh, if you were with us, we talked about King Xerxes, right? And he had this queen, Bastia, And uh, he ends up asking a request of her. He asked her to come out. Now, he asked her to come out to be seen by a bunch of men who had been drinking for seven days. And so we surmise that that would be a difficult situation in any case, but probably not one that you'd want to do either. And so she refuses the king's request, and the king gets very angry. Right? Again, you also have to remember that during this time, this king is the ruler over a large area. This is during the Persian Empire and the Medes, and again, it covers a vast area. The Gentiles are in control. Right? They're in control. And the queen had a special place in that role as being next to him. And we'll see why that's important as we get into chapter 2 today. But that being said, it kind of leaves that spot in history. It's only a book of 10 years. 10 years' time. That's not very long. It's just a little sliver, but a lot's going on. The Jews are in exile, right? They're still in that middle of that 70 years. Them have started back. They're in exile. A few of them have headed back. We know that from history. A few of them have started back. We see that in Ezra, chapter 6, that there's a, a remnant that's there, and they're starting to rebuild the wall, but they're, they're kind of struggling. Again, this is before Nehemiah. So that kind of gives you the, the, the placement of it. 
And so we're going to dive into chapter 2 this morning because there's a lot to go through. But that gives you some background. Uh, if you want more, come next week. I kind of dole it out in pieces so we're not all getting blasted with all of it and all the context. But we did a lot last week to set this up. As I mentioned, king is upset with the queen. He comes up with his nobles. They come up with this way to get rid of her. There's fear in the land that you know, all the wives are going to do the same thing and not obey their husbands. And so they set it up so that queen is dispatched, divorced, basically, and that all the wives come under their heads of their husbands and their own household. And so we have this gap here. So chapter 2, let's just dive in this morning. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for the most beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all those beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. And let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Again, if you do a casual reading, you just go from chapter 1 to chapter 2, you think it's like an almost an immediate thing. Not the case. There's actually four years that go by in this period of time, right? Because there's another big event. The, the, the Medes and the Persians actually go to war against the Greeks. And so there's this war that's raging on, and so his attention is divided, and he's focusing on that. And he's defeated. And so he comes back to his kingdom, kind of dejected, right? I, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty competitive. If I lose, I, I, I'm usually not, not... We played last night, we played a game, and so they're laughing over there because they... But we won, so I wasn't dejected at all. No. <laughs> However, my golf game this week was suffering mightily. No. But right? You're dejected. You, you, you put a lot into it. You want to win. And when you don't, you're dejected. Well, of course, this meant lives. This was a little bit more serious than the, the game of... That was good. Cube that we played. Cube. See, I can't even pronounce it right. But I just know we won. That was good. That's right. Yes. Yes. But that being said, the king's rejected. And now he's looking for... He's kind of regretting that decision that he made. You can almost see that here, right? He's not angry anymore, and, and now he's, he's remembering, and he's like, oh, she was beautiful, I'm sure, and he's saying, ah, I kind of want that, that partner back, right? I want that person who I can share with. But he's got people around him who keep talking to him, keep whispering him. And again, if you were here last week, remember, it was much bigger than just the queen disobeying. There was fear that all the women were going to rebel against the men, and so that's why this went out. And so they reminded the king that, hey, you know what? Let's get, a, let's, get a, let's get a beauty pageant going. Really, put in today's word. Let's get a bunch of young women, all these young, beautiful women, and have them come and basically compete to be the next queen. All right? Now, culturally speaking, the king had no need, really, of women. He had plenty of women. From history... 
said that he had over 360. He'd had a concubine for each day of the week as he needed. And again, he could command any woman at any time, and she would have to obey. So there's not a lack of that part of it, but yet he still wants that special person, that one person to be with. So again, context is key here, and, and it's important. So we're building up. We still, we're getting to Esther. She's coming. Um, trust me, it's coming. It takes a while to get there, but again, the context around it is, is helpful. Verse 5 says, Now there in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jar, the son of Shimei, Nebuchadnezzar, Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of, the Babylon, of, of Babylon. Among those taken captive was Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadasha, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. All right, now we get some key characters here. Here's where the story gets interesting. If you're reading through it again as a historical fact, again, we, we see the names of Mordecai. So it, it places him, right? The Jews. The Jews are still very much important to God. That's never changed. They've always remained important. And again, they're in a tough spot. They're in this long period of time of discipline, long time of being under Gentile rule, where they have no rights, no say, very little to impact the community. They're just there trying to blend in. And I say, how do you know that? Well, because A, they were commanded to do that when they went into exile. There's a prophecy that told them that that was what they were going to do because they were going to be there for a while. But also the fact that they take on the Persian names. Right? Mordecai and Esther are not Jewish names. Maybe that's why I can almost pronounce them right. right, right? No, not quite. But they're taking on those names, so they blend in. They're also probably a, a generation or two. Right? So they've been there for a while. They've, they've come into being. This is all they know, and they blend it in. But yet, their heritage is still Jewish, and that's vitally important. Again, important to God. He wants to save his people. There's always that remnant. We also see that Esther has no mother and father, right? So she's an orphan. And Mordecai takes her in as his own daughter. Very important. It was tough to be in that situation, but then to also be an orphan in that situation, there weren't many options. And so Mordecai, again, as was custom, would take his brother's daughter in, and so he brings her in to his family. And he has great influence over her. He watches over Esther and provides for her. So now we have these two main characters, right? Mordecai and Esther. But we also have this going on outside, right? We have this beauty pageant, right? They're, they're searching for all the women. They're, they're going through in every little village, and they're trying to pick, uh, say, you should go, you should go, you should go, and, and, and bringing them in. Again, whether it was an option or not, most likely wasn't much of a great option. Verse 8. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hege. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hege, 
who was in charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her to seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants to the best place in the harem. Story sounds vaguely familiar, right? Again, you can almost see it now. Again, we have the benefit of history, but we see how God's setting it up, right? He's setting up what's to come, right? I mean, Esther's not the first Jew that's been taken into captivity and won favor and, and, and had that influence, right? Think of Moses, Joseph, Daniel. It's another one, right? Not that far be- before, although there's some contrast as well. It's interesting. But again, comparing these people in their situations is kind of helpful because all of those folks are used by God. And Esther's the same way. God's going to use Esther for a certain time, for a certain plan that he has. I'm also reminded, and again, it's a great encouragement to me, that God's not using the the best of the best or the perfect, right? He uses ordinary people to accomplish his will. Kind of funny in a way, funny for me, but he brings her in, and again, she immediately finds favor, right? Just like, but she also still has to go, even though she's a beautiful young woman, she still has to go through beauty treatments, right? I'm going to try to step through this and not insult any women here this morning. But the beauty treatment was 12 months long. It was a year-long don't sis. <laughs> I didn't insult you guys yet. What? Don't, don't go. Just stop right there. PJ said, give me the, the just stop right there, Charlie, and be all right. But it's a process. It took a lot, right? And each woman would have to go through it with oils, with cosmetics, with perfumes. They had to look pretty. They had to smell pretty. And so this was all part of it because, again, the hope was that you would be singled out as the best of the best. If you think of what they go through for beauty pageants, it's kind of the same thing, right? They go through a lot of training, a lot of how to look, a lot of treatments. And so that's what's going on here. And so she's part of that. And even the special food, right? She'd get the the best of the best to help her. And she had people to help her come around her. She had seven Again, but Esther's finding favor already. And so this process is beginning. And even with the eunuch that is over in charge, she's found favor, right? So I'm sure he's going to be helpful. He's going to have insight into the king, what he's really looking for. But Esther's being groomed. She's being prepared for what's to come. Verse 10. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. A couple things we know from that, right? At least Mordecai cares about her, right? Again, in context, Mordecai has just turned her over to become an object who, best case scenario, is going to become queen Married to a Persian king, which that's not Mosaic law, that's wrong, right? And before that, she's going to have sex with him, and so that's wrong. 
She's also going to be eating food that's not kosher or not what the law says. She's in a situation here. And if she's not picked, she just goes in with the concubines, which is even worse. She's, she may never be seen again. She's just put off separately. The king may or may not ever call her back, but it's for only one purpose. So it's a tough, tough situation that Esther's been put in. Some people actually, at this point, are not very pleased with Mordecai. They're like, well, man, he's denying his background, he's denying his heritage, and he's passing that on to Esther. Again, not the perfect ideal parent, right? You that are dads, think about your daughters. This is not where you'd want them to end up. But he does care about her to some degree. And so he checks on her periodically. He comes and he finds out what's going on. Verse 12. Before a young woman's turn came to go in to see the king, she had completed 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil and mirth, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to be to the care of Shezah, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Again, part of the process. And like I said, they would go through this ritual of the perfumes and cosmetics to get ready. She'd be called in, and then she would go back to another part. She would be separated again. Interesting here, it talks about she could bring whatever she wanted. That's going to play a role here because in some ways this would help identify her character a little bit by what she took from one group to the next. Remember, they're all competing. There's all a bunch of women here together, day in and day out, all competing for one spot. And so if she took a lot of things with her, then the others would have less. So there was that going on. And it would be obviously, I'm sure there was jealousy, there was things that were going on. You put that many group of any people together, there'd be comparisons. There'd be things that would not go well. I'm sure more than once the eunuch had to go in and kind of break up the fight. It doesn't say that, but I'm pretty sure it would happen after 12 months, a year of time of preparation and things going on. I can almost be pretty sure. Verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Adoniah, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Again, we see that over and over again, right? Esther wins favor. Again, not so much what Esther is doing, but because of God's placement, because God's hand is upon her at this point. He's preparing her, and so it's God who's bringing her to the forefront. And like I mentioned, what she brought and didn't brought would be a sign of her character. But they saw something special in this young woman. Verse 16, she was taken to the king in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, and the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and, approve, and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head 
and made her queen instead of Ashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the province and distributed gifts with royal liberty. Right? That's how this story started out, right? There was a, a big banquet going on at the time, right? We, that's what started this whole thing in motion. And so, again, they have a new queen. Like I said, the queen had a, not a, so much of an authority role, but just as a companion to the king. So she had a special place. She won the pageant. She's the queen now. And the fact that the crown is placed on her head, again, was just a symbol of that she's made it through the process. The king is pleased with her. You ever wonder what was going through Esther's head at this point? Think about it. Young girl, she's won this great honor of being the queen. Yet, I'm sure she knows the story. She's been told the story over and over again. What happened to the last queen? Right? Just for simply not coming out. I think there'd be some fear and trepidation in that. Or how secure do you think she was feeling in that position? Right? Again, there's no mention of God. So we don't know that Esther's praying or talking to God. We don't, we don't know any of that. We don't know where she's at spiritually. But yet she's found herself in this position. And God's been bringing her along and preparing her. All right, verse 19. Again, the plot thickens, or its story gets a little more interesting. Verse 19, when the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Right, so she's obedient. We see that she's, she's still listening to Mordecai. Mordecai has a place now. Right? Esther, the queen, but Mordecai has, has her ear, which is going to be important later on. Also, it mentions a place here. It talks about the king's gate. Right? Again, we, we think of a gate as just a, a fortress. Right? You're just not allowed into it. It's a, it's a doorway. Really, the king's gate was more like a, a forum or it was an area, like a little courtyard. And actually, a lot of things happened there. A lot of the day-to-day decisions were made there. A lot of the information was passed in that area. In fact, many believe that Mordecai had a seat there. Which there was a place where they would sit, those who were older and wiser, and people would go to them for advice. It's not just any place that he's sitting at. He's sitting at a place of respect. And as I mentioned, God uses unlikely people. Look at how he's up to this point. Mordecai and Esther are still keeping hidden the fact that they are Jews. Brings into question, right, their, their, not only their nationality, their pride for their nation, but their reverence for God. We don't see much of that up to this point. It could be called into question. In fact, many do call it into question, right? But yet God's going to use them, use them both. Again, God's just setting the stage for what's to come. Verse 21. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bignatha and Teresha, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, 
became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported to the king, giving Mordecai to Mordecai. Like I said, the plot thickens, right? Mordecai's there at the gate, and he just happens to overhear these two men conspiring to kill the king. We know from history, King Xerxes is pretty unstable. He's very insecure. Right? We know about his anger. We know about his temper. We also know about his defeats. Uh, and interestingly enough, he ends up dying by assassins a little bit later on. But at this point, there's this plot. And so the good queen, of course, lets him know, hey, you've got two guys that are about plotting to kill you. Of course, the king wants to know, where did you get that information, right? How did you come about that? Oh, well, Mordecai told me. Setting the stage. God's still at work through all this process. He's bringing it about. Again, nothing happens by chance. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officers were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of Annals and the presence of the king. Right? So King Xerxes verifies the story, finds out that these two men, and he has him killed, and he puts him on display. This sets up Mordecai now, right? right? Who, want, who wouldn't want a friend that just saved my life, right? You, you're going to treat them with honor. He's also going to look favorably upon Esther, right? Esther's the one that told him. She didn't keep it to herself. And she wasn't afraid. She spoke up. Again, setting the stage for what's to come. And sadly, this morning, that's it for the story as far as I'm going. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. But I want you to be encouraged this morning, as it was mentioned so many times this morning, we don't always know what God's doing, right? We don't always see it. You know, once we leave these doors of our friends and family, right, we go into a world that's a mess, We don't always see it, but God has a plan. God also not only has a plan, he has a purpose for each of us, each and every one of you. We're ordinary people, but God has a plan for us. I was thinking, as Joe even mentioned about the refiner, right, and and it's not ready until you see his face. The, The great thing is God uses us before we get to that perfect spot, right? We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be all set. We don't have to have it all together for God to use us. For me, that's encouraging because I know where I'm lacking. It's the same for you. God wants to use you right where you're at right now. Yes, he'll keep refining. He'll keep doing that work. But don't wait for perfection. Ask God what he wants from you today. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you remind us that despite who we are, despite where we've come from, despite how many times we get it wrong, you still are in control. As we sang that song, you are the defender of our hearts, Lord. Lord, that you want to use us, each and every one of us. We have a purpose. Fit into your plan. 
Lord, use your people. Continue to, to grow us. Continue to help us to be all that you want us to be. Continue to do your work that you've started in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.